Welcome back to another episode of Millennial Manhood. This is your host, Yavitsa Churchovich. And today I have Roy Cook with me. He is the author of the recently released book, A Fool's Errand, Why Your Goals Are Falling Short and What You Can Do About It. It was released January 4th, 2021. Link in the description below. Wow, what a conversation. So I had the pleasure of spending probably 30 to 45 minutes with Roy on the phone a week ago, just, just talking about life. And it was just so interesting. I was just completely enamored with the man as he was talking about his experiences, his life. And the part that was most shocking to me is he self-described himself as a loser until he was 35 years old. And this is a man who has a fascinating life, built some businesses, sold some businesses, retired, has been living out in California these last 20 years. And it's just been super cool. And, and a lot of the conversation revolved around this concept of core values. And he talks about that a lot in the podcast. And he talks about that a lot in the book. But building out those core values and building a foundation around which you do business, how you treat others, how you just live a fulfilled life. I think every single person listening to this will enjoy this. I wish we had had more time. I actually think I'll do a part two with him because I felt like we could have gone for for a couple of hours and just kept at it with just cool stories and little nuances from his experiences all the way from, you know, driving drunk and, you know, potentially wrecking his car and having to find his way out of, out of that mindset and lifestyle all the way to being, you know, potentially threatened because he won't refusing to lie uh, in a deposition and what that cost him and how he put his morals ahead of money and quite frankly his business partners so enjoy the show it's a great conversation again the only complaint i have is i wish we had had more time millennial manhood everywhere where you get podcasts manhoodpod.com at manhoodpod on instagram find me on linkedin and as always give us a five star on itunes Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you uh, spending some time with us today. Yeah, I'm glad to come on. Uh, For folks who are watching, listening, whatever it may be, I've got Roy Cook with me. And uh, for some folks, they might actually know who you are because you're essentially on a book tour right now promoting what what you've done. So some folks might be, you know, coming on board from hearing you on other podcasts. But for, for people who don't know who you are, you just recently released a book called A Fool's Errand why your goals are falling short of what you can do. Sorry, a fool's errand, why your goals are falling short and what you can do about it. And it's an incredibly interesting story because you consider yourself a loser until you were 35 years old. And uh, you you made a big turnaround and we had a fascinating conversation last week about that. So Roy, for, for folks who don't know who you are, who's Roy Cook? Okay. I'm, I'm a guy that retired 20 years ago, never thinking I'd be in this position, nor would ever write a book. Uh, But after I retired, I realized that some things had happened in my life, which were a little different. And so I thought I'd write a book about it. Um, A little background on me. I I grew up in Oregon uh, and I went to school in engineering, physics and mathematics at Oregon State. That's rocket science. And I quickly learned that uh, I'm the only genius. I'm the only non-genius in engineering physics. So um, I decided I'd go into some other field I didn't like. went into marketing, went to work for Procter & Gamble, which was the apple of its day. 
it was the most difficult thing to get to. There was no West Coast guy there. My boss was from Yale and his boss was from Princeton. And, and I love that. Here I'm from Oregon State, not exactly an Ivy League school. Mm. Um, and so I was there for seven years. I did a lot of traveling then with them. But I was a West Coast guy, so I left, went back to San Francisco in, uh, after about seven years. And then I, had, I worked for two different companies in marketing, in sales. And around about um, 75, uh, one of the companies, I had sold a huge repeating job that would repeat forever, which means I'd have big commission checks coming in every year, except that they said, Oh, hold it, Roy. That isn't going to happen. We'll mm. give you a commission check for the first year. From then on, it's a company account. Ooh. And I and I quit on the spot. Now, I have to admit that they, they, they probably suspected that that's possible. So they, they evidently can't, can't have wanted to keep me that badly. I went to work for another company, New York-based marketing firm that did advertising and couponing for people like Procter & Gamble, Frito-Lay, Pepsi. And um, I ran the West for those guys. And 18 years after that, one of the partners, the senior partner, I was a junior partner, came to me and said, we want you to sign a deposition about a court case. And I asked, well, what's that about? And they said, well, you're not involved at all. And I know you're an honest guy, Roy. This is an exact quote of his. But I know you're an honest man, but this is business. Hmm. In other words, what they're asking me to do was unethical. It was untrue. But from a business standpoint, I should just accept that. At the same time, I was getting panic attacks at night. So I'd go to bed, and it was almost 30 minutes after that. I'm in a high rise in San Francisco on Russian Hill with a, with a view. So I, I'd leap up going, <gasps> I can't breathe. I'd run to the window, throw open, and breathe in the air from across the Golden Gate Bridge and the Pacific Ocean. I'd feel good. And each time I thought I was going to die. I mean, I stopped mm. breathing and my wife thought I was going to die. And so I went to see all kinds of doctors, every kind, ear, nose and throat, an all night sleep lab. Finally went to a psychiatrist and I'm telling this story. And he says, stop. I know exactly what the problem is. You've got integrity. Your partners don't. Mm. And so you're going to have a choice. If you hang with them, maybe they won't. Uh, require this if you tell them that this is really troubling you, uh, but I suspect they will or they wouldn't have brought it to you. And so um, I left and started my own company as an entrepreneur. Now, during that same time, I was reading books like Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Great it's about book. 30, yeah, 30 million sales. And his partner, who was actually senior to him, I think, Hiram W. Smith, wrote a book called What Matters Most. Both of those books stated the following. Um, well, more so for Smith, but uh, uh, Covey went along with, they both felt the same way, and they taught this 30 years ago. But nobody knows anything about it now. So here's what they taught. Each of you, have, all of us, have 10 to 20 core values that probably come with us at birth. They were both um, deeply religious guys, so that, that's how they felt. But they... When I, I talked to Hiram Smith privately a year and a half ago, three weeks before he died, and he said, we, I don't have any proof of that. He said, we just think that. But well before you reach uh, adulthood, you've got core values within you. What's the proof of that? 
because there's nobody like you. You know that other people that you're married to or friends of yours don't have the same level of integrity or creativity or the same stick to itiveness, um, the same feeling about family, about giving back. We're all different. You may share some of those with a lot of people, but some others may, may, may not have that. Like, I don't have a creativity core value. Uh, because of what you're doing, I, I suspect you might have a, core, core, a creativity core value, meaning that matters to you. Mm -hmm. So if I want to learn to play the piano or paint or whatever, I, I may have a little problem there. I may have to depend upon willpower. It is not a core value of mine. So it's not something I value, not something that will fulfill me, even though when I did my company, I thought that was creative, but I, I just, that didn't quite make it. That's my 12th core value, I guess. I have 11. So that would be the one that would come in next. And here's what they said. And I'm, I'm going to read something really quick, a definition of a core value. It's the best I've seen. It's from a woman named Dawn Barkley, who's a personal coach, who I don't know. I've just talked to her once. Hmm. Deeply rooted fundamental beliefs, guides that dictate your behaviors and actions, the foundations of what is driving your decisions, ingrained principles that help you declare who you are and what you stand for. Now, to finish up on this point, Hiram Smith said this, Covey said something pretty close to it. If you find your core values, those values that are closest to your heart, and if you live your life from then on, making all decisions consistent with the core values, you will get two things, fulfillment and peace of mind. Now, I would translate to happiness, to happiness, but I'm, I'm not crazy about the word happiness. It's used so many different ways. I mean, a guy in a Barco lounger with a six-pack of beer watching an NFL game could be called happy. <clears throat> that isn't what I'm talking about. And if you develop some other talents, like, let's say, courage, uh, the ability to spot an opportunity, some other business talents, you, you will also be financially independent. I did all of those. So in 11 years, I moved from a disastrous situation with a health problem to being retired um, and being able to do 100% of what I liked. Now, somebody could say, well, Roy, entrepreneurship is really fun. How could you do any better than that? Well, you just have to think a little bit about that. Uh, yes, it's fun. It's better than having a job and you learn more if you on your own. But there are problems with it. One, when I'm retired, I can deal with uh, every with uh, I don't have to deal with any toxic people. Mm -hmm. When you work, there are always going to be toxic people. I don't have to deal with the government. I don't have to go and have any court cases or have or be uh, possibly sued. And um, and if I'm retired, I, I get to do whatever I want. I don't have to do any of those things. And so when I was retired, I went back to my, my psychiatrist guy, and he said, he handed me a blank sheet of paper. This is actually in my book. Here's my blank sheet of paper. And he handed it to me. I said, why are you doing that? He said, well, this is what your life is now, from now on. You can start all over and do exactly what you want, even though you were enjoying entrepreneurship, and it was a lot better than the jobs beforehand. So let's say 30 years of work, 11 years of entrepreneurship, then for 20 years, I, I did this. So I went down with all my core values and found out things that, that, that would honor them. I put together the largest mentoring program in, in, uh, uh, in, in a major university um, that I'm aware of. Uh, it, had, it had adults like me, people over 50, 
who knew a lot, and then people 18 who knew, who knew nothing were students, you know. I'm exaggerating. Of course, they knew something, but I... Um, and then secondly, I went back and got 20 fraternity brothers and their spouses, and we met. We'd meet every five years anyway, but we wouldn't see each other beyond that. I suggested we uh, put together a, a, a give-back group, we'll call it um, Our Brothers Keepers, and we'll do work with kids in education. We all felt strongly mm. about that. So we help kids in southern Mexico, in south-central L.A., um, and, and some poor counties in the Oregon coast, and we helped some, a couple of families in Katrina where we could pool our money and instead of giving it to somebody where, uh, in some cases, if their phone bank is involved, 90% of your money doesn't go to the end result. It, it's not illegal or wrong. It's just the way it is. Well, 100% of our money could, could go to this. Uh, we'd cover our own expenses. And then I, um, I've always been interested in history and art, so Bernice and I could set a goal of we wanted to understand why, how Western civilization developed and how it became dominant. And so we traveled all over Europe and from the Silk Road to everyone. We read a lot. And I taught some classes at a local university, even though I'm not, I'm not a teacher. They allowed people to come in and teach adults as part of the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. It's an adult mm. deal in 120 colleges, you know, that Bernard Osher goes into a college and says, I'll give you a million bucks if you'll do some classes for people over 50. And so they did it. And they're not, we're not talking basket weaving and stuff like that. These are serious classes. Um, so so that, that's what I wanted in, in the health, in looking at health, which was a core value too. You know, I, I made sure I did yoga three or four times a week, which I think is the best thing for, for me, and I think for almost anybody, along with whatever else they like doing. And, uh, and taking long walks. And there are probably some things I've missed out there. And then I went and wrote, wrote, wrote the book. And that took me three years. And that was a real education. And I, uh, w where I came out from that is I admire anybody that's written a book. I mean, it is, that is difficult. And it, it takes some, uh, some dedication. So the difference between doing those things, for me, uh, because they fit in with my core values is I didn't have to depend upon willpower except for the book somewhat mm. because you love it inside. So you're, you're, you know, if you're creative, you're not going to have a, as much of a problem playing the piano unless you have some eye hand coordination problems as I would be not having that value. So um, there have been a lot of, of things written recently about the problems of willpower, that it's an undependable ally. It dies out every day and so on. So if you, write, if you do your core values and you make decisions on the basis of that that's, uh, and, and only do those things, you say no to everything else like Steve Jobs and Warren Buffett said. Warren Buffett actually said of the most successful people I know on the earth, they say no to almost anything, almost everything, the way he put it, almost everything. And so that's, that's my whole story. So I wrote the book and it just was launched uh, two weeks ago. Um, and we'll see what happens. I've been told by well-known people in this self-help business like Ryan Holiday that, uh, who asked me a question when I met him, I didn't meet him over the phone once, and said, how many unknown writers do you think get well-read, Roy? There's uh, 13 million books a year. And I said, well, on the basis of you asking my, me that question, it's got to be pretty close to zero. And he said, yes, it is. So he said, don't count on it. 
Oprah is not going to call you up. You're not going to be flying to New York on CNN. Uh, and, and in fact, you'll be unlikely to make any money versus the expenses you have. So I thought, well, thank you, Ryan, for that uplifting thought. <laughs> I, lo- but, I love Ryan. I've never met Ryan Holiday, but I love Ryan Holiday. So, and that sounds like something he would yeah. say. And, and he did me a favor, a big, a big favor. Um, we're not, we're not friends. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, we didn't maintain that relationship. He's, he's got his fish to fry and very successful guy at what, 32 is a multimillionaire and, mm-hmm. and it has led the, the move, a philosophical movement in this country that brought it back. So the stoici- by, stoicism, yeah, even stoicism, yeah, stoicism. And even, uh, by, uh, by famous world championship teams, you know, he's kind of a remarkable mm-hmm. guy. Uh, but anyway, I appreciated him saying that because that set expectations. So I'm, I'm aware of that fact The the pleasure I'm going to get out of the book, um, is going to come from, uh, some people that, that know me or don't that write me emails and say, it made a difference in my life. Yeah. And that's, that's why I wrote the book. I, I don't expect to add to my bank account and I'm financially set. So I'm not worried about that at all. Well, you've got all kinds of wheels spinning for me as you're just talking. So that's it. <laughs> well, the first thing I wanted to, yeah, man. Wow. Okay. First thing you said, and I know this is not your teaching. This is Stephen Covey and, and, and Smith's teaching, but you 10 to 20 core values. Is there a list of core values or yeah. do you just got to yeah. figure them out or how do you figure, how no, do you no, find your no, values? You couldn't figure them out. If you're the typical person or you're like me, if, if you have to figure it out, it'll never happen. You know, mm. you just want to do it. I found about 400 uh, core values. In my book, in chapter two, um, I list 160 common ones. Because wow. a lot of them are redundant, like integrity, honesty, and then you're going to spend all your, your time with a dictionary. So what's the difference between those two? Which you should do anyway, uh, although you can define the word any way you want. So, uh, and in chapter two, I tell you exactly how to find them. Uh, the process is like this. Look at the 160 and circle the ones that resonate with you. Not the ones your dad wanted you to do or your best friend mm-hmm. or your ego is saying, take that one, you know, mm-hmm. bravery, take bravery. Yeah, um, yeah. But the one that you, you think, just start off there. And then I put together, I forget the exact number. They're called little helpers. There's about 15 of them. Each one of them sets up a scenario uh, that may be helpful to you or maybe not. Maybe it'll be helpful to somebody else. For example, here's two of them. I take you to San Francisco to a high rise. Uh, we're maybe we're in my office. We go up to where the office was. You notice an I-beam that goes out the window to another building about 50 feet away. What would you cross that I-beam for? Hmm. Now, this is a very limited um, little helper because you have core values you wouldn't cross the I-beam for. Like you might not cross it for creativity. Some people would though. If I can't paint or make music, I'd rather die. Mm-hmm. But almost certainly, if you're deeply spiritual or you have family life or you have high integrity, you're going to ca- cross the I-beam for that. Because I'm going to tell you, if you don't cross the I-beam, you won't have, you won't value your family anymore. You won't have honesty. So that'll take care of the big ones. Uh, there's another one that'll take care of, of, of a lot of them. You go into a room. All the friends that you've ever, ever known are in that room. And so, so is your family and your parents and everything. And 
in the middle of the room is a casket. And you say, my God, what's that? And you walk over and look in and <gasps> it's you. They're about to give you give eulogies. What mm. would you like them to say? Mm. That almost certainly reflects core values. Yeah. If you've ever been to funerals, you hear things like, this guy could do anything. He was very creative and wonderful gardens, or this guy was very helpful. He always had was available no matter what your problem was, or this guy could fix anything. You'd take your car down there, you'd take your ironing iron down there, you'd take anything, he could fix it. Those probably reflect core internal core values. I, I want to put a warning out. There's been a book recently about core values that says you you go out and select them. You don't select them. They're part of you. You do mm. not select them. Somebody that has low integrity could never select integrity as a core value and say, you know, I don't have any integrity. I'll pick integrity. That's what I want. Yeah. Or someone that had no creativity couldn't say, I'm going to have creativity. I'm going to learn to play the piano and so on. They could play the piano. They could paint. They might even do a good job, but but they're not going to be happy and they're going to have to rely on that undependable ally willpower to learn because it, it isn't it isn't a part of them. Um, so let, let me ask you this when we talk about core values and obviously for folks, you know, go get the book, <laughs> read chapter two. Yeah. Um, but, but one of the things that I read earlier and that you and I talked about last time was, and I'm curious how this fits in, is you were a loser, self-described, until you were yeah. 35 years old, which someone um, who's in his early 30s, that seems hard to believe considering I'm talking to you right now and, and hearing the things that you're saying now and, and the wisdom that you are you are sharing with the audience. So what happened? What was going on? Well, let me. I'll define what I mean by loser. Um I didn't drink at all in college, but afterwards I drank. I wasn't an alcoholic, but when I went out on weekends, I would drink mm -hmm. too much. Mm -hmm. So in Cincinnati or in Indianapolis once, uh, I lost the car for the whole damn weekend. Couldn't couldn't find the car. <laughs> and I thought, Monday morning, I'm going to have to tell Procter & Gamble I lost their car. And, oh, it was and, a company car. <laughs> as my as I put in my book, adding healthfully when I was out drinking Friday night, you know, it'd fire me. Yeah. Well, I found it without going into detail. Another time I'm driving from Fort Lauderdale back to Miami after a night at the bars up there, you know, and, um, and I'm, I fall asleep at the car at the car and I didn't notice the freeway ended. And I drove through big signs, you know, like 18 feet wide and, and uh, uh, six feet high made by four by fours and stuff. I, I plowed right through a bunch of them and the cops uh, came and they didn't arrest me for some reason that I don't understand. We got along well, and that doesn't make sense because I was drunk. Hmm. Uh, but but that's what happened. Another time in Cincinnati, the Proctor guys and probably everybody in Cincinnati would cross the river into Kentucky to the bars. They were just fun places to go. So one night I'm driving home and at 55 miles an hour, all of a sudden I'm in, I'm in a bus barn. You know, every now and then in downtown, there's a there's an exit from a freeway that goes through a bus barn. And that's where I was driving. Like I said, Jesus, criminy, what happened? You know, put on the brake and bow out of there. Nobody arrested me. But I could have. Could part have of killed that, somebody. Yeah. So part of that is funny. But part of that is scary and irresponsible. And that, that could have changed my life. Instead mm -hmm. of everybody saying, oh, you worked at Procter & Gamble all my life and being impressed uh, that you were fired by Procter & Gamble. What, how did that happen? 
that would have been bad. And, and knowing the way I would have internalized that would have been terrible. So I move out to San Francisco and I'm dating and I'm borrowing money from the women I date who earn a fraction of what I earned. I, I always earn good money. So from that standpoint, I was never a loser, but I, I earned good money. In sales, one of the facts of life is if you're in a growing industry and you're in a fair company and you're in sales, you can make big jumps in income year to year. You don't, you're not Correct. dependable on about a 3% or 7%. So I did that. And when I met my wife in 73, she actually told me, said, bro, you're late to everything. And you know what that tells me? And it should tell you, you're a very selfish guy. You're very self-centered. Only, it only matters to you. And one time I was tested. So I, I, you can get a picture here. This is not a, a winner that I'm describing. I'm tested out in, in uh, San Francisco. So I, I know kind of where I want to go and what kind of job I want next. And the guy at the test got to one point. He said, well, you have no empathy. Mm. I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, empathy. You don't have any empathy. And I, being defensive at that point, I immediately listed a bunch of stuff. So that can't be true. He said, all of those things have to do with sympathy. You don't have any problem there. You have sympathy, but you have no empathy. And I, so finally I said to him, I was exasperated. I was, well, frustrated, I guess. I said, what the hell is empathy? And he said, exactly my point. Mm. Well, you don't even know what it is. So I, I didn't have it, and it bothered me for a long time, especially later in life. And I found out something. You can develop empathy. It can happen. I'm, I'm no longer a person without empathy. I had no spiritual life. Um, so I, I just was a pretty unaccountable guy who floated along. And uh, I would consider that, you know, around about the mid-70s in, in San Francisco. Here I'm dating somebody who saves bus money uh, to help pay for part of a trip to, uh, to uh, Europe meaning she's saving a quarter, walking two miles to save a quarter, and highly responsible and accountable. And I wasn't um, that way at all. What did she see in you is what I want to know. Yeah, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, we could bring her in and ask her. I, I, I don't know. I know one thing. She's too smart to know, think she could change men, to change a guy. Uh, that, that's a problem a lot of women have. They think they can change guys and it never happens. Well, Actually, she did change me. I mean, there, there are things that I saw in her, and I was probably ready to change. I mean, how long can you be irresponsible? Now, had you asked me at the time, or had you said you're a loser, uh, I would have, um, I would not have accepted that. I would have been angry. Hmm. Uh, so it was later, I guess I'd say this, it's pretty easy to say you're a loser when later you're, you become a success. Um, so round about that time, I started... Oh, I forgot to list one other thing. This will probably be the clincher for you. I got calls almost every night dunning me for credit. I went through every credit card there was and credit cards you've never even heard of. I had my car repossessed the first day on a new job in San Francisco with my boss uh, when we went to, drove across the bridge to Oakland to, to Clorox Corporation. While we were in there, the car was repossessed in the parking lot. How's that even, but, but how's that even possible? You were making great money. Were you gambling? Were you, I mean, no, I know you were drinking. No, I but... wasn't gambling. I was just spending the money. I, I, I like, uh, I have wide interests. I like good restaurants. So I, I, 
I've always dined in the best restaurants. I like to, to eat good things. I like good wine. I liked good clothes. I liked good cars. Uh, I wanted to stay, I wanted to be in a high rise with a view of the city. So as people that knew me, even women dated that were responsible said, well, you're living way beyond your means. I, mm. I moved into some place on, on, um, um, in one of the premier areas in San Francisco and lived in a, in a flat on, on a house. Well, I was thrown out after two months. I couldn't pay the rent. I was, wow. just, I was so stupid. And so now I'm, here's how you know you're in trouble. I'm living in a residence home where it costs $100 a month for room and board, room and board. Now, there's nothing wrong with that if you're a new guy moving to San Francisco or a woman, you know, and, and, you, and you're staying in a place like that to get your feet on the ground. But I had, you know, I was uh, 31 or two in that environment. And that probably, uh, a friend of mine said, well, didn't that upset you? I mean, you're in there with beginning people and other people that are just down and outers. And I, as I check in, a guy jumps from the second floor right in front of me on the sidewalk, tries to kill himself. Wow. But as the joke was in that house, talk about dark humor, he said, he's such a failure, he couldn't even kill himself. Jeez, that is depressing. I, I mean, so, so there is the whole picture. That's a little more than I have in my book. I don't talk about the attempted suicide or whatever, but $100 a month, even though that was quite a long time ago, that's, that's not much money for room and board. No. Uh, that's yeah you're going down some interesting paths of i guess here's the thing that i'd really like to just dive into i'm assuming you you got married you developed empathy you stopped being late to things you built out a couple businesses you made a ton of money and retired i mean look i was a financial advisor for nine years if you've been retired for 20 years you've already way beat the average of of how long people have money yeah. Uh, in retirement. Well, I'm, my money has not gone down in retirement. Yeah, you uh, probably so, have assets and things that keep paying you. Yeah. Um, which so is the, the smart, which yeah. is the smart way to retire, by the yeah. way. Uh, well, my wife helped there. She was a banker and an institutional stock broker, like the kind of people you saw in the movie Wall Street. Mm -hmm. So she knew money and the way I treated it disgusted her. So uh, we started living together in 74. We didn't get married till 97. So whatever that is, 24, 23 years, 25 years, we were living together. We didn't want children. So we never, we never actually got married until later. But her example was very good. And I, I guess I can't give her too much credit. She was 100% reliable and accountable. Here's how strong she felt when she dated She's a very attractive woman. She had a lot, lots of guys. If a guy was 15 minutes late, she dressed down and uh, wouldn't go out. Meet mm. him at the door and say, there's no place you could have been in the city where you couldn't have called before you started. And so, uh, you know, we're not going to go out. She, mm. I mean, th th there's what I was living with, you know. And so she was, um, but she wasn't difficult. She was charming and everything, but she had those habits. I probably learned from there. And I had to get out of debt. And so I, I, uh, I had a job where I could earn the money and get out of debt over about four years. I remember because of the job I had in two years, I doubled the income and in four years, I quadrupled it. So I was lucky in that regard. But, but from the first 
time where I showed irresponsibility to where I left the second company. It was 18 years, uh, you know, when I uh, had the panic attacks. So that's a long time to get my feet on the ground. Yeah. Uh, but I wasn't an entrepreneur then, and I wasn't hanging around entrepreneurs, uh, although I admired them. And I remember in my mind's eye in downtown San Francisco looking at, at guys and women that dressed well and, and had nice cars and everything and, said, and saying, God, I, I wish I could be like that. You know, the, the envious situation. I, I wonder if I'll ever be like that if I, you know, apply myself. So my book says this, you can only be down for so long or a loser. I mean, you, have, you have something inside you that that hopefully will change you. Mm. Uh, I mean, I never had any disease. I didn't have a mental disease. I wasn't an alcoholic. The only time I drank is on Friday and Saturday, but I, I, I did get drunk on, 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 on those times. And it would have been okay if somebody drove me home, I guess. But, yeah. uh, but I wasn't doing any. That was driving my own car, which is totally... You and I both know my life could have been different. I could have gone to jail or some miserable yeah, there's, thing. There's, there's all kinds of routes you could have taken down, Bad down there. So um, I did I did learn that. I'm living in San Francisco, and I wanted to keep living there. It's a charming, almost small town. I mean, the parts that matter in San Francisco are like three miles by three miles, the northeast part of it, other than Golden Gate Bridge. That's where everything is. That's where you live. That's where the opera is, the restaurants. Yeah. And, 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 um, and I had a lot of interest. So I was studying, taking classes at Berkeley and Stanford. Uh, Berkeley had an extension in San Francisco. So there was a lot, lot that I was doing. Fortunately, I had, enough, I had jobs where I could earn a fair amount of money so I could get out of that terribly bad debt situation. Uh, generally speaking, you can't make a lot of improvements in your life at one time, and one is enough. Uh, that's what yeah. I tell people on core values. I've mm. got a, a way you can rate them and look at them, and if you see three are weak, work on them, but only work on one at a time. Don't, don't work on all three of the weak ones. They're core values and you're not doing well there. Just one at a time is plenty good enough. So, so let me ask you, so what core value? Because I very much so relate it when you said uh, Procter & Gamble basically said, hey, no commission checks for you on this giant deal you've brought in. And you basically told them to go after themselves. That's 100%. Well, it, it, it wasn't Procter. It was uh, another company. It was the, after oh, Procter, yeah. Okay, but after Procter. It was another but, big company like Procter, but yeah, I just said they, they were taking advantage of me. You know, I mean, they're, so they're blaming what, me. What, what, what should I do? Should I have gone out and tried to sell every year? Isn't this a good thing that I'm bringing something in that's repetitive? Correct. So uh, here, I'm going to read real quickly just one word, my 11 core values. You won't yeah. know what they are unless I define each one of them, but you'll have an idea. This okay. is in, in order of importance to me, too. That's part of the process. It's in the book. Spiritual, family. Mm. So far, almost everybody has family. It's most many have spiritual. Learning. Wait a minute. Let me, let me start over. Spiritual, family, health, integrity, value-based life. That means you, you live by goals and, and, uh, mm -hmm. and by values. Community. What I mean by that is give back. Freedom, and I, that's my, my meaning of that is financially independent, where all decisions in your life are not based upon or, or, or uh, on, on time or money. You've got both. 
um, accomplishment, learning and teaching. That's one. Resoluteness and renewal. Renewal is remaking yourself. Now, there's three or four that probably almost everybody has, uh, uh, but but most of them aren't are, are unusual. Like I've learned that learning is unusual. I would I can see that. I'm a, I'm I have strong opinions, and I'm going to give you one of them now. I think when people stop school, they make a decision in their lives. They may they either decide one of two things. I either want to be entertained the rest of my life primarily. I'll, I'll do mm. some learning, some reading, but primarily entertaining myself, you know, having fun, or I want to learn. It's my view that 80 to 90% of the people want, want to be entertained. Those are, they, they want parties, uh, even their vacations are going to go to Hawaii. Who can blame them? Their, their, their vacations are not going to be European where they're looking at history and studying art or their Caribbean. Because if you're interested in history, uh, Traveling in the West, uh, there's no place in the West uh, that, that uh, played a key role in the development of Western civilization other than the United States. No place in the Americas or Hawaii or anything played a key role. They all played roles, but a key role. And so my belief is that the people that just want to entertain, those are the ones you see at the high school reunions that have never changed. Mm. Now, I know this sounds biased, but I, I believe that that's the case. Because throughout your life, you're going to run into obstacles. How do you overcome those? Well, you get better. You learn. How do you, how do you get better? Well, I guess I gave that away already. You learn. How do you learn? You read. Is that the only way you can learn? No, there's lots of ways you can learn. But reading is by far the best. Now, aren't, isn't everybody reading? No. In the United States, the, the median average of books read is five. That means half the people read four or less. Those people aren't learning. A year, a lifetime? What's the? Uh, uh, I'm sorry, a year. Okay. I mean, that's a pathetically small number. I used to be like in that group, um, and now I read thirty to fifty books. And a as you learn, you grow. Um, can't you just learn just without reading, just from your job and your friends? Not much, not much. Not compared to this. Not not compared to reading or going on a site like medium.com and reading the blogs and getting involved in them and things like that. There's a, a, a big, a big difference. So uh, although everybody's mixed, everybody's going to be interested in some learning. There's only 10 to 20% that are really deeply involved. And here's the good news. 80% of the people who get out of college have taken themselves off the field. Uh, uh, from a competition standpoint. Now, they may make it that because of connections or they pick the right area or they, they, they really know how to make money. But uh, the people that really make it, like uh, the, the most famous people that you can read about, talk about the and, and, and so does the guy we just discussed, one of your favorite guys, believe strongly in the value of learning uh, mm -hmm. in terms of being successful in life. There is a connection there, although you can learn a lot about things that won't help you financially. But there's a connection there if you're reading self-help and what, what he would if Ryan was here, he would talk about philosophy. Um, he'd talk about reading some biographies and histories. In fact, he feels the same way I do. It's much better to read history than to listen to the nightly news. If you want to be a yeah. good vo voter or citizen, you'll you'll learn that from history.
uh, I have a I, I try to avoid the new, the news. And another thing where the average is, I think, twenty two percent of Americans, or no, what is it? The average American uses two plus hours a day on social media. So if we look at that in the readers, I think we can see that the average person that you're competing with for jobs and so on is is um, is not going to grow very fast. I mean, if they're doing that, that's a tremendous amount of time they're wasting, two hours a day, that they could they could be reading and studying and reading things that are fun, finding stuff that would teach them. So anyway, that's, well, a, that's you, a bias you, I have. You could take it even a step further. If you look at my generation, folks in their 30s and 20s, I mean, the last decade you've spent basically being entertained and utilizing Slack and email to communicate. I tell people all the time, if you can just in the most simplest way possible, articulate what you're trying to say and speak to somebody like they're a human being, which is something 40 and under year olds cannot do anymore. You are going to just absolutely crush it because your competition is non-existent. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I hate to say that. I mean, I, I, it's, it's a bias I have. And I was in that group. I say in my book through my late thirties, as I recall, I read almost nothing. Hmm. I, I don't recall myself being engaged there. And uh, certainly there was no medium.com. There's a guy yeah. at a local university here a few years ago said he suggested I get on medium.com and 250 blogs later, all of which were an answer to somebody else. I decided I'd write a book and then I then I started blogging. Actually, my whole book is serialized and on medium.com. If somebody goes oh. and looks up that book title, a, a Fool's Errand and Roy Cook, the whole book, except for chapter two, because I'm not an idiot, you know, I'd like somebody to buy yeah, the yeah. book. So the, the chapter two tells you how you find your core values, but everything else is in the other, uh, the other 12 chapters are, are there word for word. Uh, I wasn't told to do that. My, my publisher um, um, didn't tell me to do that. I just thought it would be a good idea. But there was a guy there who was one of the partners who said, well, at least keep the part out about how to, how to so yeah, well, I was going to do that anyway. I, I, so let me ask you this. Let's go back to the night terrors and, and the whole deal where you're supposed to sign a deposition. How, how did the whole legal battle situation remedy itself? I don't know. I never found out. I left them and so you uh, just left. And when I went back to New York to tell him, one of the guys threatened me in the meeting under his breath. He said something about doing me in, you know, that was, was he a mobster? <laughs> no, no, but it was unbelievable. I have a, uh, I have a, uh, I, I had a partner and we did it together. And this guy knows some mobsters. I mean, he lives back in a neighborhood where they're around, but he, he's not that way. And he said, Roy, I've seen these guys. And the, if he really intended to do anything to you, he wouldn't have said anything. So don't worry about it. And uh, he's a regular guy and a guy I liked. And one of the main reasons I went with his firm was because of this guy. But he was, he was not the guy that wanted me to sign the deposition. It was brought by another partner. Uh, to, to this day, I don't know if I would have gone to him and said, Randy, this is what I'm leaving the company. Here's why. I don't know if he would have said, stop, Roy, I'll take care of that. Don't worry about it. You don't have to sign anything. He might have. But that had a tremendous uh, uh, effect on me. And I knew I made the right decision later when the, um, the night attacks, always happening 30 minutes before I went to sleep, 
Nobody could understand that. No medical authority had heard of that before, the exact 30-minute time. And then they went away. And uh, so I imagine that was just a weird way of reflecting on anxiety. And yeah. I, I had a job where I had drivers taking me everywhere. I dined in the best restaurants. I ate in the best hotels. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you that, that I didn't want to leave that job. And I didn't think there were other jobs like that floating around San Francisco. You know, San Francisco is not a big headquarters town. Chicago is. New York is. But, I mean, there are, there are at least in packaged goods, I should say. Most of the biggest packaged goods companies are east of the Mississippi. They're not out here. There are some, Del Monte and Dial, but, th but there aren't a lot. So I, I didn't know where I would go, but I knew I couldn't live my life that way. And uh, You knew you had to go somewhere. Yeah. And wh what, what could have happened if you lie on a deposition? I you mean, can go to jail for a yeah, very long yeah. time. And, and, and for all I know, I was being the guy that was set up. You know, I'm the junior partner. And if, if somebody gets caught, Roy will be the guy, you know. So, so let me ask you this. So you start your own deal. I'm always curious of people's definition when I ask them this question. You said you weren't hanging around entrepreneurs, but you ended up being one. What is your actual definition of an entrepreneur? That's a good question. Uh, and I, I will say this. Here's what I found now that I'm hanging around. I was in the CEO club in San Francisco, which is all entrepreneurs. I found out that the people that become entrepreneurs, it's either in their family or friends, relatives, neighbors, or um, they, let's see, it's in their family, or they have bad luck. Something hmm. bad happens. And they, and they say, as one of my entrepreneur friends said, I'm an entrepreneur because I like to make my own mistakes. Well, I wasn't making my own mistakes. Somebody else was making them. Here's my definition of an entrepreneur. Somebody who starts and finances their own business. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't call an entrepreneur, there's so many other combinations. Uh, they're part of a co corporation, but they're kind of running their own show. But they're, they're still, if they're reporting to an, a board of directors that, that, that isn't theirs, I, I don't view them being entrepreneur, but I, I don't want to be holier than thou. I mean, what they're doing may have more value than the way I've defined it, but somebody who starts and funds their own business. If you go further, it'd be somebody like Job says, who looks back, uh, uh, looks back uh, in his life and maybe looks at all the things that are back there and sees an unmet opportunity, which I did, uh, uh, unmet by anybody, that all of the big guys, the Procter and Package Goods companies, you know, by definition, that's somebody that sells something in a package at a Safeway or Kroger, like uh, like packaged food, health and beauty aids, um, detergents, stuff like that. And um, anyway, so an entrepreneur looks back, sees an opportunity, sees it's unmet, and goes and and and, and does it. Now, that's a little more restrictive. So I just put that on the side. That's just what they normally do. And that's exactly what I did, as it turned out from when I got out of college, all my career has been in a narrow area of marketing. And I became an expert in that field. And there was probably not too many people who knew what I knew. And so I had an advantage there. Now, I was not the kind of, I, I wasn't the kind of an entrepreneur that looked and said, what are the opportunities out there? I'm going to go out and do that. 
I, I didn't, I may not have had that ability. It was an area I knew very well, and I could see there's a wonderful opportunity here. Now, later on, pardon? Would you recommend that people become an expert in a narrow field to make themselves no, indispensable? No, I, I don't think so. I, um, one of my, one, a chapter in my book says um, that people say, uh, some people say you should find an area you're passionate in because if you are, you'll never work a day in your life. I think that's dead wrong advice. And there's uh, some very famous people who I share that view with. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. You're not necessarily passionate in the same thing at 21 as you will be at 25 or 30. Just like mm. if you meet a woman or a guy, you're not going to be, may not be passionate about them in three years, you change your way of thinking. Secondly, uh, what you're passionate in may not make you any money. It may not match up with your skills. So what, what I say and what a number of other people I think are pretty well known say, get out there and work and, and get a body of experience and just keep your eyes open all the time. And, um, and, and over time, you'll find something that you'll feel good about. So down the road, I think it's good to find something that you're passionate in. I have a weird theory, though. I said, if you're running a, a, a nail company, a, a company that makes nails, and you're, if you've got a big business and you're competing internationally, you'll be passionate about it. Mm. I mean, believe me, you'll be, if you're successful, I mean, some guy is earning 800000 or a million a year making nails. He's probably passionate about it and excited about it and excited about the advertising program, the people he has working for the company, and the changes he's made in his life and other people's lives. But that can come later. Now, I said this on a blog, and somebody at medium.com, a young woman, took me to task and said, you're giving bad advice to people. That isn't what I did. And I would, she said, it's terrible advice, Roy. You're telling them to take mind-numbing jobs and so on. And, and I, I, I tend to respond nicely to people. I, I don't go, go after them. I mean, what's the purpose of that? But, but what I wanted to say to her is, look, there's a big difference between me supporting passion and, and making a mind-numbing job. There, there's a distance between those two, which is find not a mind-numbing job, but some job, and just pay attention. Talk to people and watch and see what you like and where there are opportunities. There's so many ways you can go wrong. You can get in the wrong industry. You can work for the wrong company in a booming industry. You can work for the company that's taken over by somebody that you don't like. You can work for people that you don't like. The world is full of unethical people that run companies and other stuff. Do you like that? You, you want to be around just as long as you match up with their ethics? Um, there are all kinds of people who will give you opportunities if you'll vote with them or if you'll side with them on an issue or something like that. Um, so if you, don't, if you have, don't have a problem being bought and sold, that's another thing you want to watch out for. Um, you could take the biggest booming company in the world. If it's run by people that lack ethics and you would like to work there, you're a different person than me. I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I just couldn't do it. We're all different, though. You know, yeah. we're all different. So well, does that do you want any more on that definition? That's the my mine is a simple one because it, no, can, it can be. I think I think this that was a great definition. What I want to do is because we're running up on time is I want to go read the book and do a part two. I think this conversation's been, I think people like you who have both the good and the bad to talk about in life, because most people just want to talk about their good because they're embarrassed or they're ashamed or they just don't want to. 
admit that they sucked at one point. Um, <laughs> I think that kind of wisdom being preserved and being shared because the reality of the situation is you and I having this conversation, once it's uploaded and released, it will outlive both of us, whether anybody ever listens to it again or not, you know, it'll go out as long as the cloud exists. Well, it's this definitely going to outlive my, me because I'm a lot older than you. I'm more than twice <laughs> your age. <laughs> well, there you go. But yeah, I, I love it. I, and we are coming up on time on, on an hour of the episode, but so we'll, we'll TBD. We'll, uh, we'll continue the conversation at some point later, but one of the things that I wanted to make sure to ask you is the question I always ask folks when I end an interview is, you know, if, if you could go back to 18 year old you and give yourself one piece of advice, knowing all that you know, and knowing all that you know about yourself at this point, what would that one piece of advice be? Uh, I'm not sure I can come up with something, but I will. I just blundered into stuff and let it happen. I, I got lucky that I went with Procter & Gamble. I engineering physics, I learned something about that, but I learned that I didn't want to be in that field. Um, okay. So, but, but I also learned how smart some people can be. I would say I needed to get serious earlier in life. I needed to think about mm. my future. Now, I wouldn't have listened to that if somebody would have told me. I would have said, why? I'm out dating, I'm having fun, I'm traveling. You know, I was mountain climbing and rock climbing and skiing, and I liked all that stuff. So I just frittered away the first, in a way, let's say, the first 37 or 8 years of my life. Um, so I would say I would have enjoyed it if somebody sat down uh, with me and gave me a facts of life speech. I'm, I, that might have had an effect on me. Hmm. But I I've lost your picture here, but but I don't oh. um, I don't know how much effect that would be. I, I am maybe one of those guys that just had to get beaten around and was irresponsible and had to have. Thank God the good Lord didn't didn't have me running, uh, you know, uh, uh, running into somebody or running over them or some stupid thing uh, like that. Yeah, uh, maybe I'm just one of those people, you know, and uh, the, the only the only real productive period of my life were the last 11 years. And that started at the age of 53. Only at 53 did I find core values and become an entrepreneur at 53. Now, imagine finding that at 23. Yeah. And I and I and I see that when I'm on when I'm on uh, medium.com, I see all these smart young men and women. They're way ahead of me. I mean, here they're writing things and the, and they're they're writing books and they're very logical and they're running, they're off to run businesses. Some of them are just beginning, but but from one standpoint, we're on an equal level in terms of uh, talking. In fact, they're probably better than me at well, they are better than me at writing, but we can talk about philosophical things or ask questions like the one you just asked, which is a damn good one, and I can respond in a way as best I can. There's a back and forth there. So the people that you described earlier that are young aren't on, on medium.com. These are people who are responsible, sharp, they're good judgments. They're, they're, they're fun people, even though some of them are um, close to about a quarter my age. Well, they're definitely a third my age, <laughs> some of them, and, and some sharp cookies. So they're way ahead of me. Now, yeah. now they, could, they, they could fail. I mean, there are pitfalls out there. 
They could become an alcoholic. They could be yeah. become a drug addict. They could become a sex addict, or they could be uh, dealing with prostitutes all the time. They could be uh, lack any kind of sensitivity and and be ruining people's lives and women they're dating or men they're dating. They could just be stupid. They could be carried away by the political environment and, and things like that, and do just do some stupid stuff. Other than you know, they certainly have a right to march and stuff. They don't have a right to torch some building, but they can. They can, uh, you know, take up firearms and make a mistake there because they can't control their anger. Um, And I wasn't, you know, one part of that, I I had a a black little brother in Cincinnati. I wanted a little brother. I wanted a black little brother. They they had never done that before. So, well, if if you Um, don't. From big brother, big sister? Yeah. I said, if you don't let me have a black little brother, I won't be in the program. Uh, So, but that was one of the few times I was doing give back. Most of the time, I was just out taking advantage of the world and not doing give back. So that's not good. I wasn't yeah. doing things that a lot of young people do that I've read about, that I admire. So I don't have a good answer to you, except that maybe somebody slapped me upside the face and say, you, you better grow up, Roy. You're an embarrassment to your family I, I and everybody. I think a pretty damn good answer, Roy. Yeah. I think you give yourself a little bit of credit. So <laughs> Roy Cook, Fool's Aaron is the book. I'm assuming people can buy Amazon, Barnes and Noble, et cetera. Yeah. So it's, it, it was released in early January. Do you have a website that you want people to, to go to? Do I have a what? Do you have a website you want people to go to? No, I don't actually have a website because this is my only book. I, I will say if somebody wants to learn something about me, they can go on LinkedIn if they want and find me there. Uh, Although when they told me I had to develop a LinkedIn, I said, I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with that when I retired. There was, so I beefed that up a little bit. But also on Medium.com, I do a lot of writing on Medium.com, a lot of blogs, and I'm still releasing part of that book. I've got about uh, three more chapters to release. So there's one section on Medium.com where every chapter in the book is, is listed there. Um, and, and, and one of them deals a lot with Ryan Holiday and his... Hmm his way of thinking. Like, like you, I, I admire the man. He's a remarkable guy. Uh, That's awesome. Well, I'll, I will make sure to put all the links in the show notes so folks can click on it. You can click on the show notes and buy the book. I'll also mention, you know, I'll include some of the other books that we uh, mentioned in this episode um, and I'll direct them to uh, your LinkedIn and your medium. But Roy, it was, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. No, we had we had trouble getting together and everything, but we finally did, and I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> for for everyone listening, I didn't realize that Pacific time was only two hours behind Central time, not three. So we had a we had some scheduling issues, and then we had some camera issues. But as always, for folks listening, manhoodpod.com. Check out the website, Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen to us. Give us a, a five star review. Um, at manhood pod you can find it on instagram linkedin etc show notes Uh, as always if you have any compliments feel free to reach out if you have constructive criticism feel free to reach out but the keyword is constructive don't just complain you got to offer a solution and outside of that we will talk to you guys soon